Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is a special edition. My name is Chris Ryan, not Chris Vernon, uh, although we both are very energetic people named Chris. Uh, I am one of the editors over at TheRinger.com uh, and you know we've been working really hard these last few weeks over the playoffs and leading up into the finals. So we wanted to do a little bit of a special pod where we had some of our writers come on, talk a little bit about some of the pieces they have this week going into the, the three match, the last part of the trilogy, although... You know, if you told me we'd be back here next year with the Warriors and Cavs, I'd definitely believe you. Today we have Jonathan Sharks, who's going to talk to us a little bit about Kevin Durant and some of the matchups in this finals. We have Kevin O'Connor, who's going to talk about the importance of isolation plays. And we've got John Gonzalez, who did a cool feature on Kyrie Irving off the court and some of his more uh, eccentric and unique personality characteristics to say it uh to put not to put fine a spin on it although Kyrie would put pretty fun spin on it when he drives the lane that, that was pretty silly um i want to say thanks to all the writers for all their hard work over the last couple of months with the playoffs and of course with the finals you know it's interesting with the third one it can feel like you're writing about the same people and the same teams over and over and over again. And I think that uh, these guys have done a great job finding new ways to kind of look at it. And part of that is, you know, Kevin Durant helps. So thanks, Kevin Durant. So without further ado, let's just get right into it and talk to Jonathan Sharks about Kevin Durant. So now I'm joined by the ringers, Jonathan Sharks, who's going to talk to me a little bit about his piece on Kevin Durant. I was kind of thinking about this because the Cavs and the Warriors have played now three times in a row or they're going to play three times in a row in the finals. There's a flattening of the story that happens a little bit where you just I don't think I've actually really got my head around the fact that Kevin Durant is going to be in this in this finals. And that, like you said in your piece, he's actually had his best season as a pro this year. Yeah, I mean, he's been great this year. Just kind of if he hadn't gotten hurt, he would have had a pretty good case to be MVP, I think. Seriously? I mean, I thought he was... I think he's probably him, LeBron, and Kawhi are three best players in the league. He's the best player on the best team. Why not? Yeah, I mean, that makes... When you say it like that, it makes a lot of sense. It makes... It kind of also throws into... You know, you think about how we think about MVP every year as this, like, narrative award rather than, like, what is actual value or who's the best player. I think the... John, the most striking part of the piece that you hit on is this idea that if the Cavs want to play LeBron, Tristan, and Kevin Love at the same time, one of them is going to have to guard either Durant, Curry, or Clay Thompson. Is there any scenario in which that happens, but you could still see the Cavaliers winning? See, I think the problem is if LeBron has to guard Durant, how is he going to have the energy to carry the offense? Right. That, to me, is the big question. Like, how many steroids can LeBron take in the next two weeks? To get, get, he'll have to play like 45 minutes. To me, they'll probably have to take Love off the floor a lot just to give LeBron some breathing room. Do you think that will affect the Cavaliers on offense too much if they have Love off the floor? He has been pretty solid over these playoffs. He's been stroking from three. Like They've been running him off screens. He's been. They need his offense. It's a really tough balance to have to figure out. I think they're going to have to get Jefferson to play awesome. J.R. Smith's got to play awesome. It's just, it's going to be, they've got to find minutes for love or he's not going to kill them on defense. That might be the biggest challenge Teron Lou faces is like, how can I find 20 minutes where Kevin Love is a net positive on defense and I can give him the ball, have him crash the glass. A lot of it too is they've got to have Love and Thompson dominating the boards in this yeah. series. There is a, I think that, I wonder whether or not we'll see what, you know, Boston did this a lot where they were running like, guards were like boxing out Tristan and they were just like throwing two bodies at Tristan and letting and and letting like 
to try and get after more more on the glass. I wonder if the Warriors will try and do some different stuff with Tristan because he really was such a huge factor in the finals last year. Yeah, I think you have to face guard him. I mean, if you go, you go back and look at the regular season games this year, the Warriors didn't go small at all in that second game, I think because Tristan scared them so much in that first one. He was, they had, Cavs had 18 offensive boards in that Christmas Day game. And that was because Tristan could not be boxed out. To me, like, it's almost like Rodman rules. I'm too young to really have watched Rodman in his prime. Right. I think he was a better rebounder than Tristan, but probably not that high an impact. But he, Tristan's probably the best rebounder in the NBA now, I think. I think you're probably right. I, you know, it, it's, but it's weird. It's like, I wanted to talk to you about Kevin Durant and we already have drifted away from it. it there's something about, Durant's presence on the Warriors this year that has been a little bit, I mean, partially because he missed the time, partially because I think that they've had such an easy go of it in the playoffs, but I feel like we just like aren't talking about it enough. And there's, is it that, is it, do you think that we don't have like, um, like the data of him in the finals yet? Or is it just that like he is so seamlessly sort of fit in with what the Warriors do? Because you talk a lot about how like a lot of what Kevin Durant wanted, which was to get easier baskets, to play within a system that shared the ball, to have a little bit more of an even distribution of scorers on his team, whereas on, on Oklahoma he was always surrounded with Russ and then a bunch of defensive specialists. Is that why we're not like marveling at what the Warriors are as much or what Durant has done this season? I think you hit on it like with the playoffs being so easy because like we are, we remember players from the playoffs and like how they get their kind of brand on their team but they've had no real memorable playoff moments like the most memorable thing that's happened for Golden State is Zaza injuring Kawhi in these playoffs so like there's just been no time for like the public to catch up with that but I think in the finals it'll happen really fast everyone's gonna be like oh my gosh Durant's on the Warriors this is unbelievable but like because like how many how many people really watched those Spurs games at the end they were almost unwatchable no I think after the second game people kind of tuned out and then they became basically I mean even by three pop was kind of like yeah you know <laughs> yeah he was just you know ready for the offseason yeah I so I wonder whether or not you know does it dampen I mean there was a Jerry West quote that's been in in Lee Jenkins's piece on SI about super teams and he you know, obviously was an instrumental figure in bringing Durant to Golden State, but at the same time, he was like, I'm not really interested in parody per se, but I don't know if lack of competition is good. And he was talking about how it even has an effect on the Warriors' own fans, where it's just just not a lot of, the lack of tension in the games kind of dampens the crowd. And Is there anything, as we get to the finals and it, it becomes like this referendum on, on the league and how teams are built right now, is there anything in, in that regard that you think is is weighing on this finals like does this finals need to prove anything about about the comp- competitive spirit of the league i mean to us maybe not to the the warriors or the Cavs. right i mean for as fans and analysts and observers i think also for the golden state you want to see them get pushed a little bit so like go back to that game one game against the spurs mm-hmm. like i thought they made a lot of lazy rotations like mike brown was kind of just playing his guys he had a bunch of non-shooters on the floor at the same time they weren't very optimal rotations, but what did it matter? Because they've been killing teams so much. And then Kawhi gets hurt. So they haven't really been pushed at all in this playoffs. So I wonder if some of like the lazier things Golden State does catches up to them earlier in these finals, just because they've gotten away they've they've been able to get away with like not playing like max basketball. Right. Like going like eighty percent this whole time. Right. So like I'm really excited to see them go hundred percent and we'll see how quickly they can do that. One of the things that when they had one of the only like road bumps that they had this season, I think, was earlier in the year when there was a little bit of a reliance on on Durant as a 
you know, as an individual scorer, maybe not as much of a ball stopper, but like, you know, that was sort of what in, in Oklahoma, he would get the ball on the wing or he would get the ball coming out of screen and kind of have eight to 10 seconds of the ball to himself to try and make something happen. And then Draymond felt like Golden State was kind of relying on that at a certain point. I think they had some sort of like talk about it. And they've obviously in the playoffs like have looked like Golden State, but with Kevin Durant. Do you think that there's any like concern troll way in which like relying on Durant to get buckets could somehow gum up the works in the finals? Or do you feel like that they are just playing too good right now to trip up at this point? I mean, I guess I went back and watched those two uh, record season games from arc I wrote earlier this week. And I, you definitely watch that Christmas Day game where Durant in that fourth quarter, Durant just holds the ball and shoots like 15 times. Yeah. And that's probably not ideal with talent around him. Like to me, I think long term, I want to use Le- Durant in the LeBron role and Steph in the Kyrie role. Interesting. Like I want, I want to get Steph to just score all the time and pass and have Durant do everything else. Because I think Durant, I mean, he's an incredible scorer. But at seven feet tall, just the ability to use the plug gaps, I think, is more interesting as having him get buckets. Because Steph gets buckets to whenever he wants. Yeah, and then you also have spot-up shooters like Clay, and then you have guys like who can get weird buckets like Livingston. There's just no deficiencies. It's just so hard for me to imagine the Cavs winning more than two games here. But I think what, what, what everybody wants to hear is, what's your prediction for the series? I think to me, I'm saying Warriors in six, but that's because I don't. I'm not sure they've optimized their rotations. Like the weakness on that team is West, Pachulia, McGee. How much are they going to play their fives? Right. Like if they just say, "All right, forget it. Let's go small all the time." I'm not sure how Cleveland can keep up. But and they're playing Zaza a lot early and West a lot early. I think there's some room for Cleveland to attack those guys early in the series. Yeah, I mean the the issue there is I just feel like no lead is safe. I, I, for me, Cleveland, it's it's it should almost be, and I you know I I know that they've they've played so well this year and that their outside shooting has been so good, but I almost feel like well, the recipe would be to make it a little bit more like the first finals where they slow it down and keep it close and turn it into more of a coin toss with LeBron down the stretch. But you know that that might not ultimately be work I just I would just feel like if they ever got out to like a 17 point lead on the Warriors they would not be able to feel safe about that no I mean that's the thing about both teams they can both shoot so well and they have so many good playmakers they can score quickly but I think you're right controlling tempo is huge for Cleveland I say the higher the higher the score total is I think the better chance Golden State's gonna win to me if I'm Cleveland I want to get like 103 100 not like 110 107 yeah i totally agree with you all right john thanks so much you can read his john's kevin durant article on the ringer as well as his article about uh the matchups based on the two regular season meetings between these teams we can't wait for the finals john thanks for calling him in yeah thanks for having me on All right, so now I'm joined by the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor. Uh, Kevin is is my dude. He's one of the best basketball writers out there right now. And Kevin's piece about the finals focused on um, the idea of isolation plays, which I think, Kev, we think of this period in basketball as this pace in space, this ball movement. Popovich fixed it. He solved basketball. And ever since then, everybody's just doing <laughs> dribble handoffs and making smart cuts and spacing the floor perfectly. But as you really go into detail in your piece about Sometimes it just comes down to a guy on the wing versus another guy, right? And 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 this finals could come down to that. Hundred percent right, Chris. Like all, all the stuff Popovich solved matters. Like dribble handoff, side to side passing, motion offense. That is integral integral to success in today's NBA. However, 
Sometimes at the end of games, like you look at the numbers that I have in the article, you know, for LeBron and Kyrie and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, all those guys have a significant uptick in one-on-one isolation possessions at the end of games. And that's, that's what it comes down to oftentimes at the end. And, and, and when you think about some of those big moments in, in the past, whether it's Jordan in the 90s or Kobe in the mid-2000s or even just in last year's finals with Kyrie Irving hitting the shot, those are one-on-one isolation plays because that's what it comes down to. Sometimes that's your best available shot. But maybe when we're talking about this, and I, I was thinking about this you know, and in our conversations about this piece leading up to it, is that it's not a binary, right? Like I think sometimes people think of it like there's either ball movement or there's isolation. But there's a bleed over, right? Because one of the things that we were going to yeah. be talking about a lot as, these, as this series goes on is this idea of hunting for the matchups that you want. Right and getting Steph in, yeah. a, in a matchup that you want, or getting Kevin Love out on the perimeter where he may not feel as comfortable. Although Steph Curry would beg to differ, can you talk a little bit about <laughs> how you know teams are going to search for those matchups that they want? I think I think that's how it's changed. So you know, in the past, maybe you have an inbounds play and like you just pass it into Paul Pierce or Kobe, and they stand at the top of the key for for 18 seconds, you know, winding down the clock until they they get their shot. But now there's motion before the ISO. Like, you might set a, a little slip screen to try to force a switch. So the thing to really watch for in the finals is, will the Warriors start setting pick and rolls with Curry and Durant? Will they start trying to get whoever's on Durant, uh, whoever's on Durant onto Steph? Will they try to get whoever's onto Curry onto Durant to try to get a, the best available matchup possible? It's really about, I think, finding your advantage because at the end of the game, that side-to-side motion offense doesn't work quite as well when the defense is locked in, which is why a lot of teams have to turn to those isolations. But it's not like they're just standing around. There's still motion occurring. I think, if anything, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a hybrid in the sense that you're, you're looking for the appropriate matchup, you know, and then going with your isolation set. And that's what we've seen in the past. Even this Kyrie Irving shot last year. Thompson started on him, I believe, on that play. Yeah. And then, then they did a little slip, and Curry went on to him to get the slightly better matchup. You can see in that play from uh, from Game 7 where they get that switch, and you can see this is in it's 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 could be reading a little bit too much into his body language, but you can see Clay's shoulders sink a little bit when they get the switch because he tried to fight through the Tristan Thompson screen to stay on Kyrie and as soon as the switch happens and Steph takes Kyrie and Steph didn't do a bad job of guarding him but as soon as the switch happened you can see Clay kind of just be like damn it you know like these guys <laughs> understand what's at stake in each one of these possessions it's fascinating they they know I'm a better defender than my teammate or I think I can get this guy off the dribble here it'll be so interesting to see i mean when you're when the chips are down and that okay so you know one of the things that i think was interesting about the Kyrie shot is that a lot of the times with isolations we try we think about it in terms of getting to the hoop right but with these guys we're talking about guys who might want to just get an inch so that they can get a three off <laughs> that's another way it's evolved, I think, right? I would say, you know, in the past, you might try to get to that spot mid-range, but now guys are just pulling up. I thought um, Kevin Pelton from ESPN wrote an interesting piece on how Curry's, the most important shot for Stephen Curry is the pull-up three, and that applies to a lot of guys, too. I mean, we saw that Kyrie, I mean, LeBron is taking fewer mid-range jumpers now. He's taking almost all threes, layups, and getting to the free-throw line. Uh, so that that's been an interesting development as well. And, and look, I mean, I think one of the someone commented, I forget who it was, but 
they basically said, well, what about the efficiency of these plays? Uh, and it's, it's not that the isolation is still the most efficient play. It's just sometimes at that time of the game, that is absolutely the best option when nothing else is available because defenses really lock in at the end of games, especially in the fourth quarter, not just in the playoffs either, but in the regular season too. I would expect because of the familiarity of these two teams in this situation, so this is the third time they're playing the finals, obviously, that these guys understand the littlest thing could swing a series. Not only, I'm not just talking about Draymond, mm-hmm. you know, kicking out. I'm talking about, you know, a missed a missed switch or a switch that's dis- not as advantageous to your team as possible. Uh, a missed shot, a missed dribble, a misplayed pass. These guys know that like an entire legacy can hinge on this. So I, I think you're going to see when people talk about oh defense is tightened up. We have no idea, man. I think people are really, really going to lock in. Uh, I guess the best way to end this, Kevin, is there's 24. So what? There's 22 seconds left in the game, and your team is down by two. Who do you want to have the ball in his hands? Oh boy, there's a lot, a lot of good players to choose from, Chris. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I think I think I kind of agree with what some of Kyrie's teammates said that he's the best one-on-one player in the world. So I think if I'm picking one guy to score. Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I mean, I think that just I think, the, that's a hard choice. That's a hard, tough choice. Yeah, it's not an obvious one. I, you know, I think that yeah. you could make the argument that if you have to get one shot off from somewhere on the court, the best yeah. person to do that is Durant, just because of his physical makeup allows him to get clean looks almost whenever he wants it. You know what I mean? If he can just do one yes. feint, he can get a three off. If he can get to the hoop, he can play in the post, he can do all these different things. But if you're going for the basket, even though he's probably one of the smaller guys out there, Kyrie can just like find an angle no matter what. And it's it's probably the best part of his game. Uh, Kevin, I don't don't even know if we were, you know, this, this is just for fun, but I guess what's your prediction for the final? Like what's the, what, what do you think is going to happen? So I think I think it's gonna go deep. I think it'll definitely go six or seven games. I, I I just I don't see how this only goes four or five. You think back two years ago, LeBron brought the Cavs to six all by himself, and I I think this goes seven. And I mean I I, I don't know if this is a final prediction, but right now I'm leaning Cavaliers in seven, just because I think they have the best player in the world, and LeBron's playing at a level I don't think we've ever seen him play before, and I I just I feel like. I feel like the, with the isolation edge they have at the end of games, in my opinion, I feel like if these games are close, they have a slight edge. I, I, I don't have total confidence in that pick because I, I honestly don't see how anybody can have confidence in their pick because this series is, is, um, has so much uh, firepower. I think it's so evenly matched in the sense in the, with the star players. So I'm going with Cavs in seven right now, um, but I could easily see that flipping before uh, Thursday night. I have Warriors in five just because I think uh... – I, I don't I, I feel like we're kind of ripe the universe is ripe for a dull sporting event and I, I just feel like there's something about the <laughs> a, a way that Warriors are executing right now that makes me feel like you know they'll take the first two at home Cavs will get one and then the Warriors win the next two. 
but I, I really would love a seven-game series. I mean, this is for us, this is the Super Bowl time seven, so I'd love to get as much basketball as possible. Kevin, you're going to be at the game, so you'll be writing from Oakland uh, for the first two games, so people should look for that on the Ringer on uh, Friday morning and Monday morning, and uh, we'll have you out here in L.A. doing some stuff, so you'll be around a lot. Thank you so much for joining us. You can read Kevin's piece on Isolation Plays. It's a great piece on TheRinger.com right now. Appreciate it, Chris. No matter what happens, I'm looking forward to seeing what the conversation's like afterwards. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Thank you so much for calling in. Have a great flight. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you soon. Okay, now I am joined by John Gonzalez. John's been writing a bunch of really cool features for us over the last couple of months. Uh, you know, uh, John, what was it, like March? Did you write about Mike Brown, I guess? Uh, it's hard to remember. You guys have had me on the road for a while. They all sort of bleed together. I think so. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Somewhere, whenever, or April, yeah, that? whenever Kerr stepped down for a while. I guess it was April, yeah. John wrote about Mike Brown and taking over the Warriors in the interim, but is now looking increasingly like he's going to be coaching them throughout the finals. And then this week and last week, John wrote about the Cavaliers twice. He wrote about Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry's podcast, Road Trippin'. And then this week, today, he wrote about Kyrie Irving and his sort of unique off-court persona, which we don't often get to see unless you're really digging deep and like you're really on the boards. You know what I mean? You're really getting deep in the message boards. So, John, I wanted to ask you, with this unique experience <laughs> of being around both of these teams in recent in recent months, how would you characterize the different vibes? Like, what's the biggest difference between these two teams? I, I think I was surprised, uh, and maybe it, it had to do with you know dealing with Richard Jefferson and and Channing Fry and Allie Clifton for the pod story. But I think I was surprised, Chris, that like the Cavs feel like they're having fun. Uh, they're sort of amused by this whole process. You know, Kevin Love had said he was surprised that they're considered the underdogs when they're the, they're the, the defending champions, uh, and. The Warriors felt like it was much more of a business, with the exception of Mike Brown, who's having a blast. And, you know, that was the upshot of our story that, um, my God, like if anybody has a better job than Mike Brown, who is it? But right. on the whole, it feels like the Warriors are about business. And the Cavs seem to be enjoying themselves, which I guess I, I was sort of surprised by. Which is strange, too, because you kind of consider the Cavs a little bit more of a veteran team, whereas the Warriors still have like a sort of an air of youth to them. But to me, the Warriors are kind of hitting the. Uh, I don't know, like the awkward puberty stage of, of being a team where guys are obviously, you know, I mean, there's a lot of egos on that team. There's a lot of different uh, agendas and, and a lot of different brands at work on that team. We always joke about the Under Armour Nike stuff, but there has to be some, to some extent, that's real. And then on the Cavs, it seems like they've got a little bit more of a everybody knows their role, everybody knows their lane kind of thing. Do you think that it's the fact that the Cavs kind of already did the impossible that it, it frees them up to feel a little bit more like, yeah, we, we, you know, whatever comes after this is gravy. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, like that was a big deal last year. Like, I, you know, when I was in Cleveland, every time I talked to somebody, it was, oh my god, you know, can you believe we did it? And it's a year later, and so I think that, like, you know, doing the impossible. And how long was that job? It was, it was over fifty years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a big. I mean, like you're like me from Philadelphia. Uh, we went 25 years without a championship. Can you imagine going 50? I mean, like, that would make people insane. So, 
It's yeah, nice I for would Cleveland. Just, I think. Yeah, I would just start freelancing for teams if they if, if we went fifty years. I got. Yeah. I'm not interested in a Bambino <laughs> curse, man. Life's too short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be rough. I, I think that they'd have to raise all of Philadelphia if it went that long. But um, for Cleveland, yeah, I think like they did it. It was amazing. They know that LeBron has this playoff blueprint that's going to push them into the finals all the time. And then like. You see what happens. I mean, anything could happen in the finals. You know, somebody tweets an ankle, or you know, last year uh, Draymond has to sit out. All of a sudden, it could switch. Where with the Warriors, I think, like again, with the exception of Mike Brown, there's more pressure there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach talked. Zach Lowe talked about it on his podcast where he was like, "Look, man, if you have the best regular season run in league's his, like three year regular season run in league history, and you come out of that with one title." You're that's bad, and then I think Arnovitz actually said to him, "Was like that's that's like, you know, '90s Braves right there. You can't do that." Yeah, you totally catch heat for that. I mean, like, and especially you add, you're super, you're stacking your already super team with another superstar to make it even better. You got to win. I mean, like KD leaves when they almost beat Golden State last year to join Golden State. If you lose now. I mean that's huge egg on your face. So yeah, I think I think the gravy thing is right, and and not to overplay this pod thing. <laughs> this is your fault. You put me onto this pod. I love it so much. I think it relaxes them. Yeah, yeah. You can tell that they are a very easygoing group of guys who are very comfortable with each other, which is you know like it's an interesting juxtaposition from what I think we thought the first the first year up through Blatt's firing. Which was that this was like a very, it was a dictatorship with LeBron, that guys weren't comfortable, you know, being subservient to his sort of superstar. It's really interesting. I want to talk a little bit about Kyrie specifically. He is one of the most disrespected, respected players I can remember watching. You know, like someone who's capable of putting up 40 plus in any given game, of winning an NBA Finals game with a shot. And yet we don't really talk about him in the same conversation as the other really upper echelon point guards. And, you know, even throughout the playoffs, people being like, John Wall's the best point guard in the East. Isaiah Thomas is an MVP candidate. And Kyrie just kind of kind of putters along. And, and, you know, one thing that your, your piece got at was obviously his, like, unique personality and some of his unique viewpoints on alien, the existence of aliens yeah. and the moon landing. But you also sort of touched on this idea of him kind of being a sidekick and the extent, how much longer you think he might want to play that role. What, what, what did you come away thinking? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, exactly what you said, because, you know, for those, for people who don't know, you're my editor. So, like, when we're kicking this stuff around, we're trying to, like, what story should we do and what do we think the ideas are? And initially, the idea that we had come up with to pull back the curtain a little bit was, Exactly what you said. You look at Kyrie and you go, oh, you know, like, can he be a thing without having, like, an oversized personality? Or can he be his own thing with, you know, LeBron, being in LeBron's shadow? And then when I got there and I got to talk to people around him and watch him operate, I realized it was sort of the opposite, that he is this personality, uh, but the LeBron component, the sidekick component sort of overshadows it. So... You know, he addressed it. Dave McMenamin flat out asked him after game four. He had that monster game. He was like, hey, you know, have you thought about what it would be like to be the leader of this team in your prime? He's like, I think about it all the time, which I, I was floored by because he really rarely does that kind of stuff in press conferences in public. He'll do that stuff on the podcast, but very rarely will he say something like that in public. So um, I think, you know, for him to say that, 
right there after game four after a huge performance tells you how much he wants it. Yeah, I mean, we forget he was the number one pick. He was supposed to be the savior of that franchise, the second life after LeBron left. It was supposed to be about Kyrie. And his career has had one of the most like interesting trajectories because it's just a series of sliding doors. You know what I mean? Like it's just like yeah. if LeBron doesn't come back, you know, who knows if he even stays in Cleveland, but what does a Kyrie Irving led NBA team look like? And that's part of what Cleveland and Golden State has kind of screwed up our ideas about you know, can this guy be the best player on an on a on a finals team because they have so many dudes who we once wondered that about. We we used to debate that about Kevin Love when he was on Minnesota at, at his peak. You know, we would be like, well, can you really win? How far can you go with Kevin Love? And it turned out you could go about 40 games. You could win about 40 games with him. And we had the right, same questions right. about Kyrie. We would ask the same questions about Durant by himself. I mean, yeah, he got to the finals, but with obviously like incredible talent around him, it sort of skews our whole way of understanding the league. Yeah, I, I thought about it. It's interesting that you bring this up now, and uh, maybe something we should have explored in the piece, uh, but it was already pretty long. I wondered that, like, as I'm watching, right, because pre the, the Kyrie that we saw pre-LeBron return and the Cavs that we saw were a totally different team. He was a different kind of player. He was like High, super high usage rate, even though you know he still is to a certain extent. And they weren't a good team. Yeah. And then he comes and he gets to play with LeBron. And I wonder, like, how much of that education? Like, if you extracted LeBron now, could the Cavs still be one of the best teams in the East? Like, I, I would think about that all the time. And it's a really interesting hypothetical. Right. I, I don't so know the answer to it. I think they'd be better. That you think they'd be better than they were when he before LeBron right. got there. But if like LeBron had gone down with an injury this year, like like let's say he goes down in the twentieth game with a knee injury. How good would they be? I would put yeah, them. That... I would put them third. I would put them third in the East. Like, not not to disrespect like... other everybody else, but I, if that was the event, like, and they had to learn how to play without LeBron, but I still think that a Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love team is pretty good. Are you putting them? So you're putting them in that like Wizards. Raptors tier. Yeah, and the Wizards and the Raptors are just also strange because like these kinds of hypotheticals are always hard because you're just like, well, does does that mean that like Kyle Lowry doesn't get hurt if this is still the case? But I just feel like the the Cavs have a lot of scoring even without LeBron. It's it's a really tough question though. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, like LeBron makes such a huge difference to a defense that is already bad. So I think if you take him out. You take a big step back for so many different reasons, but the defense component would be the big one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like. I guess I wasn't a massive fan of of Kyrie pre LeBron's return, and I found myself increasingly like smitten with him. Like the more time I spend focused on him, uh, not just like on the court and like what he can do, because I mean that game four. If they lose that game, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about game three. And then losing that game, and Marcus Smart had to go bananas, and Jonas Jarebko had to be a thing, yeah. and nobody even like remember Jonas Jarebko was like like a thing. Uh, but the big curiosity for me was how that game four started because it looked like it was going to be a continuation of three, and that the Celtics were going to tie up the series, and then all of a sudden people start getting super super nervous in Cleveland, and also LeBron started with those four fouls. Everything looked like it was going wrong, or at least sideways, and Kyrie fixed that. I mean, he had, that game was the Kyrie game that I think, you know, aside from him hitting that game winner 
in Game 7. That's probably the best game he's ever had. Yeah. It was amazing. On a rolled ankle. And, you know, we talk about that. It's not even, we're not even really like, ooh, like, what's the wrong with the Cavaliers? Do they have a good enough? It's like another problem that would have happened is if they had lost that game is the Warriors would have had just like a huge rest advantage. And that matters for the Cavs. LeBron just straight up is so much better when he has some 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 rest. So for them to if they if they had gone six or seven with Boston, I think it would have made a significant difference in the finals. So speaking of this this third finals, John, let's just get your prediction winner and amount of games it's going to take. All right. So I say this with a caveat: mm-hmm. I am the world like a, this side of Stephen A. I might be the world's worst prediction person. Like if I was any good at it, I would be. <laughs> I stopped gambling a long time ago because I was awful. I've covered sports long enough to know that I don't know anything about it. So I, I think it's probably – I'm going to go with the chalk here and say that it's the Warriors. Uh, I, I would love for it to go seven. I think it's probably closer to six because if it's just talent uh, and nothing goes wrong and nobody turns an ankle and uh, the Warriors are making shots and Draymond, who you know in the regular season was having you know issues with his threes. When I was there, he was knocking down threes. Then I think it's the Warriors in six. Uh, for the Cavs to win or to you know push it to seven, you need all those pieces. You need like what Kevin Love was doing when he was hitting seven threes and a half, and you need Kyrie to be uh, the fantastic playoff Kyrie that we've seen you know uh, lately or last year. Uh, a lot of things have to break right for the Cavs, and I think fewer things have to break right for the Warriors. What do you think? That's just what I keep coming back to: is that the Cavs have to be extraordinary, and the Warriors just have to be themselves. Yeah, and it's yeah, just like the the, the, Warrior, wonder, like, the yeah. average Warriors game is so good. The, yeah. the there's just more variance to like what happens with the Cavs. So I'm I I don't know, man. I know that this is not. I I hate being like this about LeBron, but I just think Warriors in five. I know that's the thing, the LeBron component, where you go, oh right, taking the Warriors in any amount of games means you're betting against LeBron. You know, yeah. like, that's the that's the thing that gives me pause. But I don't feel good I'm about excited it. that there's. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but I am excited that there's finally going to be... I feel like we've gone forever without basketball. When did this thing start it? <laughs> Seriously. I know, it's been like the longest... It's It's been the longest three months of my life, it feels like, but it's also been the longest <laughs> week of my life. All right, well, we're really excited to get going with the finals. Thanks, John, for joining us. You can read John's piece on The Ringer about Kyrie Irving, his piece last week about road tripping is still up there, and there's all, all sorts of other goodies under his byline. Just click on the name when you go to the site. John, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, man. Thanks for listening. You can read all the stuff from John, John, and Kevin. You can just click on NBA Finals up there at the top of the Ringer website, and you'll see all their pieces. We're really excited about the finals. You can read all those guys over the next, hopefully, two weeks. You know, it might only be, you know, it might only be a week if some of these predictions come true. Uh, thanks for listening, and enjoy the finals.